We've been looking at some things dealing with baptism. Started that last um, Tuesday. And we know that there's many that teach spiritual baptism in our day and time. I really never thought I'd see that getting into our work. It was one of the kind of the foundational things of landmarkism. Um, you know, our beliefs that believed that water baptism was necessary to be part of the church, but you got some that teach spiritual baptism and and teach once you have that spiritual baptism, you're part of the church, you're part of the bride, and basically you get everything right at salvation. And there's nothing that's going to be lost from that. Now, I am a believer of once saved, always saved. I believe that with all my heart because salvation is of God. It's not about us. It's the gift of God unto whosoever believeth. But when you're talking about being part of the bride and having some of the precious promises that are mentioned in Scripture, that didn't just accompany salvation. Now, I will say this. What accompanies salvation is you've got an opportunity. You have access to those promises. And, of course, then being part of the church you have access to some things. That's the salvation that's mentioned about when you look in Peter's writing about a salvation that's mentioned with salvation. It's not the salvation of our soul because it's not the washing away of the filth of our flesh, but an act of a good conscience toward God. But the salvation there is the salvation of our life's works. And so you notice those things. I'm going to turn to some scriptures uh, tonight to just look at some things and and these are scriptures that I would ask people that believe that once you're saved, you've got everything and you can't lose and you're already a part of the bride and you've already got all these uh, precious promises. Some say, well, there's reward. What is our reward? I mean, you've got to get into the depth of that. And I know I could do a whole other study about some of the rewards that are mentioned in scripture. But being a part of the bride is a pretty huge reward. Uh, being with the Lord and and in His house, and ruling and reigning with Him. That's, I'll even say this, go read sometimes just in the seven churches of Asia some of the promises that are made each of the churches. If you do this, then there's this blessing. And you can get into those subjects. But a lot of those, when you really examine them, like sitting with Jesus in His throne as He is set with His Father in His throne, get to digging on that. Who sits with someone in their throne? Now certainly, somebody that's going to be made king, you look at Jesus and His royalty, He gets to sit in the throne because He's the Son of the Father. But you also got to look, well, if He marries somebody, who gets to sit in the throne with Him? Uh, that's a part of it. But there's an if that goes along with that. And, and there's a lot of scriptures you can read about that have ifs with it. And they're not just something to be overlooked. If there's an if in there, there's a reason there's an if. And so you've got to dig and study on those things. And again, not going to just go into the depth of it, but I will say this when we're mentioning salvation. I might have mentioned this last week, but something to remember. When did Jesus start His earthly ministry, before or after being baptized? It was after, wasn't it? When did other people from the church start preaching and being used of God. It was after they were baptized into the church. And these are things to notice, to pay attention to. Now I'm going to begin tonight in, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. 
And we'll turn to a few Scriptures, but just to present some thoughts to us. I pray that it could be a blessing and encouragement to us as we go. We're going to begin in, in verse 15, but before we begin, we do want to look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to You this day, Father, we're so thankful for the many wonderful things that You've done for us. Father, You've been good to us so much better than we deserve. And Father, we pray that You would lead, guide, and direct in the service. May Your will be accomplished. And Father, for the good that is accomplished, let us step aside and give You the praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Romans 8, verse 15, let's, let's go back one verse. It's carrying a thought over in verse 14. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now that's not hard to under, understand. He says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And as soon as we're saved, we're born into the family of God, and we cry, Abba, Father. He's our dearly beloved Father. And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And we know that spirit. It, it pricks our heart. It shows us when we're wrong. It leads us into the things that are right. It continually bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But that's not the end of that sentence. In verse 17 it says, And if children, then heirs. Now there's heirs just mentioned. If you're a child of God, you have some, some inheritance to look forward to. Heirs. Heirs of God. And then notice this part after the comma. And joint heirs. Now this is something separate here. There's heirs, and then there's joint heirs. And the joint heirs with Christ follows with a two-letter word, doesn't it? If. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so he goes on there, and there's a special if in there. If we suffer with him. That's, that's not just salvation there, is it? That's something separate. There's the gift of God, which is salvation, and then there's a joint heirship. And if you can ever understand why we would even be allowed to be joint heirs with Christ, <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll pass my knowledge. Because I don't understand why I would even be allowed that opportunity. I really don't. I really don't understand why I would be allowed an opportunity because joint heirs means you have an equal part. How in the world can I have an equal inheritance with Christ? That's a special blessing, isn't it? A special place. But notice that's an ill so be that we suffer with Him. Now, does everybody that trusts in Christ, do they suffer with Christ? You know, we find in Scripture that Lot had a righteous soul. But did Lot suffer with God? Or did he look for what was best for Lot? There's a difference there, isn't there? In fact, I'll tell you this, in all honesty, if that Scripture wasn't written down for us, that he had a righteous soul, I would have thought Lot was a lost man. I really would have. And again, it goes to show once saved, always saved, even within in that, because there's nothing redeeming uh, that you find after Lot left 
Abraham, there's nothing really redeeming in his life that you find. He, he lived a sad life. He lived a, a life that he brought a lot of pain and suffering upon himself. And it was a shame of a life that he lived. We, we know many of the things that happened, even how his wife turned back and looked towards the city, turned to a pillar of salt, even what sins were committed under drunkenness with his two daughters and things of that nature. I mean, there was a lot of wickedness that followed. But yet the Bible declares that Lot had a righteous soul. Anybody think he's going to have the same inheritance as Abraham? It would be foolish to think so, wouldn't it? we do know that he was saved and that is important to know it as we go forward and even here just because somebody's saved doesn't mean that they get an equal inheritance there's some inheritance that is earned because we're willing to suffer with Christ and I think a lot of times we can even look in our own families and we've probably seen times and seen people that receive a different inheritance for different reasons Y'all ever seen a parent that wouldn't leave their child any inheritance? I've seen that. Did that stop them from being their child? No, can't change the blood. But they had nothing to go along with it. Keep that in mind. I'm going to go, go backwards and read a few scriptures. Let's turn back to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'll be honest, I this is one scripture in the Bible of all others that I've read. It's one that has given me trouble sometimes while studying. It's just a different scripture that throws out some different thoughts. And to say that I fully understand the scripture, I don't. There are things that I don't care how much you study your Bible, you're not going to get all the answers to. There are things that we know, there are things that we become more certain of the more that we study it. But I promise you, if you're really a student of your Bible, you're going to come across some things and say, what do I do with that? You just don't know what to do. Uh, there's just no full, clear answers. There's some things that we're just left with little bits and pieces. And we don't have the totality of it. But it says in verse 20 of Second Peter chapter 2, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Who's he talking about here? He's talking about people that have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That would be saved people, would it not? And yet he comes at the end of this verse and says that if they go back and they're entangled with sin, they're overcome with sin, that the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now I do have some opinions on this, but again, opinions is not just Scripture. I'll share at least one of those with you. One thing is, if you've wasted your life away, can you imagine what? Imagine watching all the people that you sinned with and didn't warn them about the judgment that was to come and see them cast into hell in the lake of fire? 
That's a horrible thing to deal with. It's a horrible thing to even imagine. That is one thing that I've gotten out of this, this scripture, at least one part that I know that it could be. We know that he's not talking about them going to hell and spending eternity there. But there are things that are missed. I, I think we can pick up some of it in some of the other scriptures that we'll read. But let me ask this question. If it's worse than what you begin with, it's got to be an awful thing. It's a horrible punishment. It, it's, and, and again, there's a difference between being eternally condemned and receiving some chastening or some heartache or suffering loss, as we'll look at in the Scripture. We're not talking about people here that are lost. We're talking about somebody that is saved, and he says the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. Now you study that and see what all you can make of it. To say it had been better if they had not known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned away from it. That's a strong statement. I will say this, there's some scriptures that talk about people that are saved that go forth and willingly sin. And it talks about a fearful looking unto the day of judgment in the book of Hebrews. A fearful looking unto the day of judgment. Think about that for a moment. That God turns to them and talks with them about it and says, listen, if you go out and willfully sin willfully disobey God, there is a fearful looking of judgment. And again, put that where you want to, but just some scriptures we have to go across. I am going to turn back to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Now there is mention here about inheritance. And again, that's a subject that we're willing to deal with here is some eternal inheritance, some eternal blessings that we have. Do you know that there's things that you can throw away and never get back again? And we're not talking about salvation. I'm going to go and read a scripture that proves that before we close tonight. But when we're talking about dealing with things, we're going to look here at Esau. In verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. He's talking about something that would be missed here, and something that you can't get back. 
And he's not writing that to lost people. He's writing that to saved people. He's writing that to church people. And even back further in the book of Hebrews, you go and study about the rest of the Lord. R-E-S-T. And there were some that found that rest and some that did not enter into that rest. He wasn't talking about salvation. He was talking about something separate. There are people that do not find the rest in the Lord. And one of the reasons they don't is because they wrestle with the Scriptures. They wrestle with the things of God and they go out in the sins of the world and the things of the world. And again, I would encourage you to study the seven churches in Revelation uh, and uh, Asia in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. I mean, there's some of them the Lord says, I will fight against you. I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will remove the candlestick from thee. And those things are not talking about removing salvation. It's talking about removing blessings and even the presence of the God, even the presence of God from them, the fellowship of God with them. Again, I'm a firm believer in once saved, always saved, but there's some scriptures that are written to saved people that need to be read and understood. And if you understand the difference between being saved and walking in the flesh versus being saved and walking with the Lord versus yoking up with the Lord in the church and not yoking up or identifying with Him, there's some differences there. There's some separation even of inheritance and blessings. A lot of times people just overlook them. Turn with me back uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And of course Paul talking to the church at Corinth here. And going through some extensive things. I know I don't have time just to go and read everything in chapter 10, chapter 9 and just going back, but picking up here in chapter 11, he's talking about the church being carried away into false doctrine. And notice some of the wording he says. What do we often call the church, the other name that we give to it? The bride, right? The bride. Notice what is mentioned here when it deals with that in verse 1 of chapter 11. He says here to the church, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Well, how are you going to present them as a chaste virgin to Christ? Being purified by the Word of God, right? That's how we're presented to Christ as a chaste virgin is the purifying because everyone that nameth the name of Christ removes themselves from iniquity, don't they? They purify themselves is what the Scripture says. And we purify that by the Word of God. He said, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him 
you might follow some false doctrine. And he made the statement, he said, but I fear. What was he afraid of? That they would not be found as a chaste virgin unto Christ? That they would not be found living unto the Lord? The, the Bible talks about on the day of judgment that if we live for the Lord, we would have boldness on that day. Confidence. What kind of confidence? Same confidence Paul talked about to Timothy. I know. Therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And not to me only, but to all those that love His appearing. That wasn't just, well, I've trusted Christ. Everything's already set up, was it? His salvation was secure. He knew who He had believed and that God was keeping His salvation. That is the foundation of everything that we believe. And that foundation is unchangeable, unmovable, is a solid rock. But after that foundation, there's some other things, aren't they? What we do with that foundation of Jesus Christ is different. You know, in Second Peter chapter 1, he talked about that. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, temperance patience. Continuing to build up and grow in the Lord. What did he say for those who did not grow in the Lord? That they could stumble, fall, and even forget that they were purged from their old sins. There's a lot of saved people that have stumbled and fail, and some are walking in this world like they've never even been redeemed. There's a difference between them and somebody that's walking with the Lord, correct? You say, preacher, I thought we were talking about baptism. We are. We're trying to show and explain that this idea that once you're baptized in the Spirit, you're already a part of the church, you're already a part of the bride, and everything's just laid up for you. That is a false doctrine. That is not the truth. And it doesn't fit many scriptures that you can read. There is a difference between I have a gift of salvation that can never be taken away from me and the fullness of what God would have for me to have in eternity. There is a difference between those two. My salvation is a gift. But being a part of the bride, laying up treasure in heaven, these things are a separate thing. Being a part of the church is a choice. Living for the Lord being allowed to be a part of the bride is something different. And there's many scriptures that back that up. I want to turn to one other place before we close tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I believe we can see in this passage of scripture that it is clear and evident that salvation is secured in Christ. What we believe on salvation, that salvation is the gift of God, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is sealed, it is secured in Christ. But see, what that does is that gives you the foundation. But what you build on that foundation is a choice, isn't it? 
It's a choice of what you build upon that foundation of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 3, According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Notice that wording. Two words together that are very important in that verse. Take heed. That means what? Be careful. You might want to give some close attention to this. There's a lot of people saying, after I'm saved, it doesn't matter how I live, it doesn't matter what I do, I've got the same reward no matter what. And some people say, yeah, rewards are one thing, being part of the church is another. There is no greater reward in heaven than being part of the bride. That's where you get to sit in the throne with Christ and get to rule and reign with Him, which is an if. When you go, I believe it's in Revelation chapter 3 where that's dealt with. There's an if put in there. And it's concerning our faithfulness to the Lord. To have that place is not given at salvation. It is something that is earned because of faithfulness. And I'll even say this. We talk about faithfulness. Get to the root of that faithful. When we're talking about marriage, being a spouse to one husband... Any of us really believe that Jesus is going to marry something that's unfaithful? You say, well, none of us are perfect. There's a big difference between being perfect and aiming toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. My wife isn't perfect, but I married her because she's faithful. I believe she would be faithful. That's the reason I married her. We dated for a time, I watched her, I paid attention to her, no doubt she did me, and we believed that we could trust one another. We're not talking about sinlessness, because sinlessness doesn't get us salvation, and we're not even required sinlessness to be a part of the bride, but we are accounted to be faithful. You know what's part of faithfulness too? Repentance. When we do wrong... We say, I'm sorry. If you go back and look at Job, who was a perfect and upright man, did he offer atonement for his sins and even the sins of his children? He did, didn't he? That showed his faithfulness, didn't it? That he was willing to admit when he was wrong. He was willing to say, I'm, I'm aiming towards this, but I know I'm not perfect. And there is a big difference between a Christian just going out and walking in sin in somebody that is aiming for the high calling in Christ Jesus. There's a difference. There are people who press toward the mark of Christ, and there's people who don't even give an effort. There's people who try to even put a show on that they're walking toward the mark of Christ, but God sees their heart. And you go and study the church at Ephesus. He knew their heart, didn't He? He said, you've left your first love. And he said, and if you don't repent of this, I'm going to withdraw the candlestick from you. When he talked to Laodicea, and oh, they were rich and increased of good and had need of nothing, he said, yeah, I know your heart. I know that really 
you are blind, you're wretched, you're, you're living in sin, you're living in wickedness, and you have this prideful thing that you don't think you need anything, but you're naked. And he rebuked to me. He said, you know what? It makes me sick. He said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. He didn't want to have fellowship with that, did he? We see a difference there. And all through the New Testament, you know what we're taught? Faithfulness to God. That's what we're taught is faithfulness to God. And there's going to be a difference come judgment day at the judgment seat of Christ between those who have been faithful to the Lord. We're going to be judged, the Bible says, according to our works. Well, if you're judged according to your works, there's a difference in faithfulness, isn't it? He said we need to take heed how we build upon that foundation. He said for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. A solid rock, a sure foundation that's unmovable. Build your house upon the rock and not upon the sand. That's a firm foundation. You're not changing the foundation. No other man can lay a different foundation than that which is laid. It's secure. It's steadfast. It's going to be there. That's Jesus. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. What day is that? (laughs) Judgment day. When we're judged. And how is it going to be? Because it shall be revealed by fire. What fire is that? Is that the fire of hell? No. It's the fire of the Word of God. Word of God is a consuming fire. That's the fire that he's talking about there. The Word of God's going to put it to the test. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, building upon that foundation of Christ, he shall receive a reward. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Yep, salvation secure. But everything after salvation isn't, is it? What you build upon Christ, if it's not abiding in Him, it's not going to endure, is it? You're not going to receive a reward for it. You'll actually, what does He say? Suffer loss. He said you will suffer loss. Not the loss of your soul, because that's even clarified that you're still going to be saved, yet so as by fire. What are you losing? You're losing blessings. You're losing benefits. You're using places that you could have. Just like Esau sold his birthright. I'll be honest with you. I believe that Esau was a saved man. I believe that I'm going to see him in glory. But he sold out a blessing he could have had. And God, through His foreknowledge, knew He would do it. God didn't make the decision for him. He suffered that loss, even wept over it with bitter tears, but he couldn't get it back. 
Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. He's not talking about destroying our soul for all eternity there, is he? But God is not going to bless a child of God that has defiled the temple of God, which temple ye are. We think it would be a horrible thing if somebody would come into this church building and just defile it, trash it, burn it, graffiti it, do all kinds of things. We think that's a horrible thing. This is a building. Our bodies are the temple of God if we've trusted in Christ. Yet there's not a whole lot of saved people that are concerned about how they're using these temples after they've trusted Christ. And there's even some that sadly that are teaching that you can use this temple however you want it to. And you're going to receive the same reward without identifying with Christ while living in sin, while living in fornication, adultery, all different kinds of other sins. And you're going to have some equal share when you get to glory and even get be a part of the bride. Let me tell you, that just doesn't match up with Scripture. And I can't preach something that doesn't match up with Scripture. I know that's the way probably 90% of the Baptist world has gone teaching. Is as soon as you're saved, you're part of the church and you're part of the bride. But I would be lying to people if I ever preached that. Somebody else might feel like they got a clean conscience preaching that, but I can't. There's too many scriptures, even just a handful that I've talked about tonight. Listen, it just doesn't back that up. I'll preach once saved, always saved to the day I die. That's backed up by scripture. I can preach that. But to put somebody in the most special of special places to be in the bride of Christ while they're living any which way, I can't preach that. While they're even refusing to identify with Christ by uniting with the local visible church, I can't preach that. I know it would probably make me more popular if I did, but I can't lie to people. I just, I can't do that. I can't lie to somebody. I can't tell them something I can't prove scripturally. And the burden that God had placed upon our heart tonight is to try to help us see by the scripture. That there are some different levels that you see with God and it's dependent upon faithfulness. And again, if you're here in loss, I want you to understand God's salvation is a gift. It has nothing to do with you. But being a part of the church is something you choose to be a part of. You choose to identify with Christ. And we'll try to get next week and deal with what that represents and what it means to identify with Christ. And the importance that that means. I know I've preached on that before, but there's an importance in baptism. 
There's an importance. Some people say, well, it's just an outward sign of an inward decision. No, it's more than that. It's more than that. I just trusted in Christ for salvation. But I am saying I'm going to live for God when I come before the church and I'm buried with Him in baptism. I am openly professing that that old man that y'all have known, he's dead and buried. And what comes up out of the water is a new creature that's going to live for God. It's more than just an outward sign of an inward decision. It's more than that. And we need to understand it's more than that. And see the importance of it. And I know I've preached that before. I'm not going to get into it tonight in detail, but I will say this. I look at baptism as a vow before God and witnesses. That you're saying, I am going to walk in newness of life. I haven't just trusted in Christ. I want to live for Him. I want to bring glory to God in the church through Jesus Christ. That is a declaration. And it's something of great importance that we're not to take lightly or set aside. And I pray that we see it for what it is. And I pray that this could help us in study. And I know we just touched on a couple of points tonight. But I pray they could be a blessing and a help to us that we see the importance of being part of the church. And not only being a part of the church and being baptized in the body, but to see that we're saying that we want to live faithful unto the Lord. We've been espoused to one husband. We want to live honorably of what we've been purposed for. To be the light of this world. To be a city that's set upon a hill that cannot be hid. We're aiming towards that. We want to be that. It's a special place and a special honor to be a part of that. And I pray that we see that this is the burden God has given us. If you'd have anything upon your heart, we'd invite you to come. I have a verse of a song.